I'm sure that uh, at least some of you remember the song released by Vanessa Williams in the 80s called Save the Best for Last. Any of you remember that? Even if you did, I can't see you, so I can't see you acknowledging it. Um, Maybe you'd rather I didn't know that you remember it. And now we're standing face to face. Isn't this world a crazy place? Just when I thought our chance had passed, you go and save the best for last. Uh, Vanessa Williams does sing it a little bit better than I do. Saving the best for last is a common device in rhetoric and logic and debate. Uh, You build your arguments from weakest to strongest, saving the best argument for last. And this is exactly what David has done in Psalm 103. He calls all God's people to praise him. And he builds a list of reasons why we should praise God. And he ends with what David understands to be the strongest reason. He saved the best for last. And brothers and sisters, I'm humbled that God would time this the way he did. When I started preaching about two months ago on Psalm 103, I had no idea that we would arrive at this point on this Sunday as we face what we're facing in the COVID-19 virus. Because the verse that we look at today is going to speak directly to the situation. Psalm 103, 19, which is our text for this morning, says this, The Lord has established His throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. This is the highlight of the psalm. This is the point to which David has been building in all the other benefits and blessings that God has given to the world and given to his people. This is the apex, that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. The way I want to build the sermon this morning is by examining some individual words from each of these phrases and then put them together, synthesize them, and apply the principle to our world and to our situation today. So the first phrase of this verse is, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. I want to start with the word throne. What is a throne? It's a symbol of authority. It's where a king or queen sits in order to rule and govern. And the first thing for which we may may be grateful is that this throne even exists. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, John begins to describe the vision that he had of heaven. The first thing that John says he saw was a throne. And I saw a throne. Do we realize how how precious it is that a seat of ultimate authority exists? That this world, this universe, is not a random, ungoverned anarchy. For those of you that that tuned in last Sunday, the final hymn that the worship team led us in was one called, There is a Higher Throne. And the first phrase of that hymn says, There is a higher throne 
than all this world has known. It's higher, it's beyond. And, and the idea that the throne even exists implies that a seat of ultimate authority is real. The second word from this phrase to which I want to draw our attention is heaven. Where, where is this throne? This seat of authority, where is it? It's in heaven. It's not an earthly seat. The authority of which David speaks and in which he glories is not of a worldly derivation. It is other. It is above. And because this throne is in heaven, the one sitting on it has total and complete perspective. A president serves an elected term of office. Some manage to extend their terms indefinitely. Uh, and while an earthly monarch may reign even longer, they're still limited. They're limited by their lifespan. In each of these situations, what actually endures is the throne, the authority. And different individuals occupy that throne over time. But the heavenly throne is not occupied by a human being. It's not Bolsonaro or Lula or Merkel or Trump or Doria or Bernie Sanders. This throne is occupied by the Lord God Almighty, the creator, the perfect, the all-powerful, the loving, the just, the righteous, the holy. And the fact that this throne is not occupied by a human being like us should bring us comfort and security. As I was preparing this, I was imagining our nursery out back, which of course today is empty. But I was imagining when that nursery was full of children, that we would decide that the children would govern themselves. And that in the baby's nursery, uh, those newborns, they would take turns. Each Sunday, a different newborn would be in charge, and we would not have any uh, staff, we wouldn't have any helpers, we wouldn't have any people to help care for them. We would let them govern themselves. Chaos, right? Absolute chaos. Crying, wailing, um, hunger, discomfort would reign. Even if we moved into the older nursery where we have the toddlers, that might actually be a little bit worse. That might actually be even more chaotic. So if we were to think of giving ultimate authority over everything to a human being, that would not be a cause for comfort. But what we can take comfort in is that this throne in heaven is occupied by the Lord God Almighty. Interesting, though, that according to this verse, God does not just occupy the throne, but he owns the throne. It's his throne. He doesn't just hold his authority temporarily or partially. He is the authority. So it belongs to him. It's intrinsic to his being and nature. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. We move on to the second phrase. His kingdom rules over all. I want to draw our attention to that word rules. 
It's an active verb. It's not a passive verb. There is a perverted form of Christianity called deism, whose followers believe that God is the creator, but that he made the world and the universe, and he set it in order, and then he left it alone to run on its own power. Uh, They call it the great clockmaker or watchmaker, that God makes the watch, and he winds the watch up, and then he lets it go on its own for the rest of history. Now, if we only look at the first part of this verse, it might sort of somehow give us that idea that God and his authority are in heaven, they're high above, removed from what is going on here in our lives day to day. But the verb rules clarifies that God's authority is present and active. He's not just a figurehead. He's not just a mascot. He is the authority, and he exercises that authority day by day, minute by minute, second by second, microsecond by microsecond. The Lord rules. He is in control. He is sovereign. The second word here in the second phrase to which I want to draw our attention is the word all. God's kingdom rules over what? Rules over all. All. Everything. Every moment. Every person. Every era. Every occurrence. Every individual viral cell. Not some, not most, but all. And because we as humans are limited and mortal and finite, it's difficult for us to conceive that God is not like us. In this day, today, with what the world is facing, we might question if God is really in the details. Does he really see us? Does he see Fellowship Church? Does he see Calvary International Church? Does he really truly know his people? I read some interesting articles this week. I read way too many articles this week, okay, first of all. But um, I read an article about Netflix and how Netflix is actually lowering the quality of their streaming so that their servers would not be overtaxed so that they would still be able to provide content for the increased demand. Because in in this day and age, as people stay home, as they're forced to remain within their their houses, what are they going to do? They're going to watch more Netflix. They're going to stream more content. Another article I read was regarding how there are some areas in the world where the internet is being overtaxed and they can't provide enough bandwidth. It's not sufficient for the increased demand. So as we who are mortal and finite, we imagine that God is like us, that he has limited energy and attention and bandwidth. But God rules over all. He has unlimited bandwidth. So his capacity for attention and interaction and understanding is infinite. His his ability to stream himself is not limited. 
God is aware of every act and event in his creation, no matter how small. His kingdom rules over all. Now, how, how do we bring this concept of God's authority and sovereignty into our situation today? How do we apply it? David has emphasized this about God's nature, his authority, his sovereignty, and he does it as a motive or reason to praise him. So some of you may, either today or in the past, have worked for very incompetent bosses. And so the requirement that you have to submit to their authority and leadership is a challenging one, and it's a burden. Why? You don't trust them to lead well. You don't trust them to get the job done. You don't trust them to have your back, and they're, they're, they're not competent. So in that case, their authority to you is a burden. Maybe we see God's authority in that way. We see it as a burden, and we see ourselves bowed down with this heavy weight of God's authority on our shoulders. But that's not the impression that David gives. David is calling God's people up and out, and he's saying, listen, God's authority, God's sovereignty, that is a reason for celebration. That is a reason for praise. That is a reason for joy. That is a reason for hope and security and comfort. Is that how we see it, though? Is that how we understand it? So what keeps us from celebrating the sovereignty and authority of God? What is it? There may be many things. But today, I want to single out fear. Fear robs us of so much. Fear robs us of sleep, of rest, of joy, of praise. And I understand this. Every morning when I wake up, my first impulse is to, to check the news. How much farther has this virus advanced? How many more have died? How long is it going to last? Will I or my family get infected? If we do, will, the, will there still even be treatment available? And all those worries crowd out the joy and praise of the Lord and his sovereignty. If I do that, first thing when I wake up, you know what ends up getting sacrificed? My time with Jesus, my time with the Lord, my time in God's word. Because for me, if I'm honest with you, there's no such thing as reading just one article. If I open that up, I'm going to go to one article. There's going to be a link in that article that's going to take me to another article, and that link is going to take me somewhere else. And by that point, I'm thinking, well, what are my friends saying on Facebook? I should probably check and see how they're doing. And by the time I'm in Facebook, there's no such thing as checking just the first thing on your Facebook feed. It's going to go on down and on and on and on and on. And it's not enough to just check the news here in Brazil. Then I want to check the news in the United States. Then I want to check the news in Europe. Anyway, you get the point. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. So those worries crowd out the joy and praise of the Lord and his sovereignty. And I know that for many of you, there are other deep fears as well. Some of you have watched your investments lose a huge percent of their value over the last week. Maybe you are relying on those investments for retirement or even for survival, and that, that fills you with anxiety and fear. 
many of you are right now outside of your home country and travel is being limited and you wonder, will I be able to go home? And, and if so, when? My family and I have a trip to the U.S. scheduled with our tickets purchased for June. Um, and every day we look at each other, my wife and I, we say, I don't know. Are we going to be able to go? Some of you are unemployed, and some of you have been unemployed for quite a while. And things were already looking desperate for you before. And now you wonder, if I couldn't get a job when the economy was okay, who's going to hire me now? And I know some of you own your own business. And maybe it's a business that falls under a category that's been closed by the government. And you don't know if it's ever going to open again. And when the government allows that to happen, will you have enough reserves left to, to reinvest? Some of you are even now already being furloughed. You're not being paid because your place of work has been closed. And your concern is immediate. It's for tomorrow. It's maybe for later today. How will I survive the coming weeks? And maybe some of you have already lost your job because of, of this crisis. Some of you are students. Maybe you're coming near the end of your uh, high school studies. And you had plans about what you were going to do next. Desires hopes, and you see those plans starting to shake and wobble, and maybe, maybe it's not going to turn out the way you had envisioned or hoped. What about those of you who are nearing the end of a university study, and you, 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 you were hoping, you, had, you were planning that, wow, once I finish this study, then the job market's going to open up for me. I'm going to have a, a future. I'm going to find some stability what will happen? How will we make it? Who or what can help? Fear is a terrible, terrible vortex. And those of you who experience it know that it sucks us into a panic and it steals our joy. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should stick our heads in the sand and ignore everything that's going on in the world. I'm not saying we should never check the news. I'm not saying we shouldn't take measures to be safe and to the best of our abilities to protect the vulnerable in our community and to protect our families from threat. But against fear and against panic, God has given us, among many other things, Psalm 103. The whole psalm, but particularly this verse. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. And though this world looks completely chaotic today, the Lord's sovereignty and his authority have not changed. Now, each one of us, however, is faced with a choice. God can be our sovereign because we are his children and citizens of his kingdom. That's the, the ideal picture. Or he can be the authority over us because and what I mean by that is we are not his children. We are not citizens of his kingdom. And therefore, he is, he is not our Lord. His authority over us, but we have not submitted to that authority. Are we submitted as individuals to his authority, or are we resistant to it? Are we in rebellion? Because the difference is being children or slaves. That's the choice that's laid before us. 
Not everyone, I've, if you're part of Calvary International Church, you've heard me say this many, many times, not everyone is a child of God. That sounds offensive, but it's true. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, Jesus, God, through the Apostle John, makes it so clear that only those who receive Jesus Christ and believe in him, to them, God gives the right to become his children. God's children are those who have submitted and surrendered to his authority. It's not for everyone. Romans 8.15 talks to the, about the children of God and says that we have not been given a spirit of slavery again to fear. Do you see the difference? Slaves to fear versus children of God. That's the choice that lies before us. Well, we live as children of the sovereign, the almighty. Or will we live as slaves to fear? And then, even in this time of worldwide threat and panic, even with all the uncertainty of tomorrow, or even the uncertainty of later today, those who are God's children can rest in the praise of his sovereignty and his blessings. Now, just briefly, what does it mean to become a child of God? It means, first of all, to acknowledge our sinfulness. It means to acknowledge that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Secondly, it means to accept and believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he came to earth and lived a human life and died a human death and then arose from the dead divinely. He was always God. He was always God, but he chose to live among us in human flesh and to die a human death so that he could offer that death as payment for our sin. For those who have received Jesus, says John, and for those who have believed on his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. I want to suggest something to you practically. The first thing that God has challenged me about this week is that the first thing I'm going to look at is not going to be MSN or Terra or UOL or Global or any other news site. The first thing I'm going to look at each morning is his word. Why? Because his authority is ultimately what matters. A friend of mine with whom I studied in seminary posted a, a statement on Facebook this week that challenged me. And he said, what if each time I obsessively checked the latest news update, I paused first to pray? As I thought about my own daily schedule, I thought I would spend a ton of time praying. If I did that every time before I checked that news update, or checked Worldometer or John Hopkins to, to, to look at the, the statistics, if I paused to pray first, I would be turning my thoughts and my heart to God and his ultimate authority every hour at least once. What if we spent more time at the feet of the sovereign of the universe instead of at the feet of the internet? I believe that that would begin to turn our fear into praise. 
those who are children of God may rest in his complete and utter sovereignty. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. One way that we do honor and praise the Lord is by celebrating communion. Why is this an honor to God? Because Jesus himself instituted it. He ordained that his church would practice this regularly. It's a way that God's people rehearse his death and his sacrifice and his resurrection. We believe that the, the real presence of Christ is with his people as they receive communion. And as, as our physical bodies are nourished by the bread and the wine, the bread and the juice, and, and I realize, brothers and sisters, that we're usually talking about very, very small amounts. So we, we, we talk about our body being nourished, and you're like, well, it doesn't nourish me that much. But the point is that God is truly present, and it, as our physical bodies are nourished by the drink and by the bread, that spiritually, by faith, Jesus Christ is ministering to our souls. 
He is ministering the reality of his new life, of his resurrection to God's people. And he was the one who said to his church, as often as you do this, remember me. As often as you do this, remember me. So we have that privilege to celebrate communion this morning. And while I wish that we could all be together in the same place, doing it as a body, I'm still grateful that you, wherever you are, in your homes, will be joined and united together by the Spirit of God as we receive communion together.